This episode is brought to you by Red Originals. We've teamed up to bring you some of the best quality outdoor accessories available. They offer everything from dry bags to high-performance outdoor clothing, but specifically, and definitely my favorite, are their dry robes and changing robes. The Red Original Pro Change Evo has been designed to protect wearers from wind, rain, and pesky onlookers trying to catch a sneak peek of your naughty bits. I mean, I know they're only human, but that shit ain't free. Anyway, jump on the link in my Instagram bio to go check out their awesome range. This one is an absolute cracker, even if I do say so myself. I'm super stoked to have bodyboarding royalty on the podcast. In this episode, I chat to Trish Waters, videographer, mother, world traveler, and wife of world champion bodyboarder Andre Botha. Without further ado, let's drop straight in. Trish Waters, welcome to Slab Bodyboarding Podcast. It's so awesome to have you. Um, how are you doing? You in Hawaii at the moment? Yes. Yes. Good. All good. Uh, do the plan and the plan will work. That's my motto right now. So yeah, we're <laughs> in Hawaii. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very cool motto. You definitely have to plan. Like we don't yeah. live without a plan. Like uh, big, big, very even that. But um, yeah. let's jump straight into, uh, to, I think, a pretty, pretty big question. And we'll jump all the way back. So where does the world of Trish Waters and the world of uh, bodyboarding, where do they collide? Where do they meet up with each other? So I had no idea about bodyboarding. I obviously bodyboarded when I went to the beach as a young girl. Uh, uh, We always vacationed with my aunt Lynn in California. So I would be at like Huntington Beach you know, playing around, but no idea about the professional bodyboarding world, just thought it was like a fun thing you do um, Mm. as it is on a vacation. But I met Andre in Hawaii. I uh, am a teacher. So I got a job teaching in Hawaii and left the East Coast where I'm from and uh, decided to move to the North Shore with a friend and just loved life. Uh, was single for the first time in a really long time in my life and uh, was teaching and met a few bodyboarders. I actually met Billy Field and wow, Kalegi, a- uh, Australian Ben Kalegi and a guy named Marco Meering uh, at Waimea Bay. They were like, Billy was actually taking, I love Billy. (laughs) Billy was taking like photos of my friend, Lisa, (laughs) and she got pissed (laughs) off and went over there and said, hey, stop taking photos of us. And then we ended up, of course, hanging out with them. (laughs) And yeah, it was just kind of like, kind of cool. The bodyboarding scene was really cool. This is like uh, 2010. Uh, bodyboarding scene on the North Shore was kind of, it felt kind of different to surfers. It felt like a little bit, no offense to surfers, love all wave riding types. But for me, it just felt a little bit cooler, a little bit more artistic, like even like just the clothing and the style I saw with a lot of the guys that I was hanging out with were just like a little bit more stylized, not just like standard board shorts, t-shirt, sunglasses, Mm. flip-flops, you know, there was like some Doc Martens in there and you know some skinny jeans in there and just it was just a little bit more like just felt a little bit I don't know just felt like it had a little spice to it which I liked and yeah I met Andre through a um 
through those guys uh just with little like north shore get-togethers and parties mm -hmm. and um i saw andre was doing a lot of art uh at these little get-togethers in a sketch pad and i was teaching right now my like best friend was the art teacher so she had like lots of old supplies that she was gonna trash and i just said let me take those for andre and yeah that's kind of how our story started which I was quite like uh intimidated by Andre actually uh I think that I knew maybe in like my heart center that like he was the real deal and I wasn't really ready for the real deal at that moment <laughs> and um you know, as the surfers of the North Shore are, they're very transient in for the winter, out for the summer, mm -hmm. and I was settled there. So I never gave into it for a good three years with Andre, seeing him come and go and him trying very persistent each year. <laughs> and I was like, no, 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 no. And then this one, the one year, um, it just all came the the season he came this one year i'll never forget the day he landed we saw each other at foodland and if you know the north shore you know foodland's like a can be almost like a strange bar outing type feeling for i saw him in the evening and there and he was wearing a purple tie-dye and it was just like i don't know i was checking out and the checkout girl one of my friends named Gemma, was like trisha are you okay because <laughs> i was just in you know a la la land and i knew then then and there that that would be it and yeah we kind of got together after that stage i got a teaching job in morocco I was getting like a bit antsy to get off the island. So I already had another teaching job lined up in Morocco. Uh, after um, the school year ended, I went to South Africa to see Andre. And then we went to Morocco together for that next school year. So uh, after that teaching job didn't work out, um, it was interesting because I went from teaching very low income students in Hawaii to teaching very, very rich people in Morocco. And it was really challenging for me. Um, <laughs> a lot of those kids have actually the same exact issues, the very rich children and the very poor children. Mm -hmm. It's like a lot all have a lot of neglect issues, which is surprising. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah. That such is life. So we went back to uh, South Africa and together and decided to, it's very complicated if you fall in love with someone from overseas. I don't recommend it um, <laughs> because you have to deal with all these visas and then it's like, oh, yeah. I, I never even saw, thought of myself as someone who would get married, um, but I was just like, let's just get married so we can like be in the same place without having to travel all the time every mm -hmm. on like you know little to no money type of vibes people is really what we are <laughs> but we'll spend every last time on traveling <laughs> um but yeah i the first day i filmed uh was actually interesting we got back into bodyboarding like andre kind of had a bit of a break at that time and then I was like, let's just do this because we can like travel and we got back into it and we went back to Hawaii for the first time since we were there together and when we first fell in love and 
we were there with his mom and his mom was normally filming him her name's Gerda and she yeah. was filming him for you know his whole life and she's got some great footage that's never been seen before but um they went shopping they went shopping this one day as you know some days in Hawaii they can turn like it was a cloudy rainy morning didn't look promising it was like uh you know like the waves just looked sick it didn't look right you know and then suddenly the wind turned the sun came out the waves just turned on and it's still this is still the to this day the best pipeline i have ever seen in my life uh and that was the first day i filmed gerda was stuck in haliva uh couldn't mm -hmm. get back with the traffic in time me and andre ran from sunset to pipe with all of our gear and uh i filmed pipe for the first time and still like i said it's the best day i've ever had filming pipe and it was like wow it was it became like a, almost a an addiction straight away like just film just filming it i know it sounds a bit odd but it feels like when you're it's you know in it feels like you're in the wave with him uh in yeah. a way when you're filming it really feels like you're connected you're with every little bump every little you know flow yeah. of that wave so it was you know obviously very heart pumping type of adrenaline situation and you know i fell in love with it and then since then it's been you know go 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 with bodyboarding so mm -hmm. yeah that's the long story <laughs> that that's perfect that actually covers like probably five or five or six out of the 10 talking points that i wanted to cover just all wrapped in a nice bundle so we'll um we'll unpack some of those in in a second but let's we'll, we'll jump back so a lot of people that listen to this podcast um are from the uk and or the states uh they won't actually know who billy thiel is so who was quickly in a in a nutshell who was billy thiel he for some references that he actually sold me my first bodyboard from just bodyboarding just behind the the, the beach at, at north beach in durban um okay uh, I, used to spend so okay. much time in that surf shop but uh who was yeah, it to you guys that's, and, and that's the thing it's like uh he's just like a total south african legend with bodyboarding um yeah. and the, the durban and i'm sure you can attest to it the durban scene with bodyboarding when andre was up and coming when he was a teenager from what i hear uh you know it was just like pure badassness like it was <laughs> straight up badass motherfuckers who were like uh i don't know they were just really rad rough around the edges mm -hmm. but also a lot of heart and mm -hmm. you know a lot of support you know they loved yeah. andre that was a lot of the reason i think why uh, dr and gerda andre's parents um felt really comfortable with andre going to hawaii at such a young age on his own because he had mm -hmm. that whole family that whole network that whole bodyboarding south african crew with him there you know mm -hmm. but billy thiel has in my life, um, you know, when I met him back back in the early 2000s, he, you know, he was a jokester, but he's always had Andre's back through a lot of the seasons. We have uh, used his Explorer many years. I think I don't think that car 
works anymore but he's been <laughs> so generous with like letting us use this truck through a lot of seasons always taking us to like Costco for Costco missions you know when we're just we were just mostly like bikes till like this yeah. last couple seasons honestly <laughs> um, bodyboarding I like to tell a lot of people it's a lot about the passion you know we're yeah. not in for bodyboarding for the money we're in for it for the passion and because we you know we love travel we love nature we love you know the ocean we love you know seeing people happy on bodyboards that's mm -hmm. that's wicked that's really good yeah. there's so many names of that that because i was not quite at the same level of those guys but i grew up in durban in that that era so guys like craig marie um phil so you're Rodriguez. from south africa from durban yeah absolutely oh my gosh you're from durban yeah. wow okay yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, um, I uh I, I did i surfed a few times with andre when he was um younger i surfed far more with um with kamala though so she was more of a north beach local um okay so yeah grew up in durban was uh, part of i don't even know if you'll know but uh the corner um which anybody from durban that knows about bodyboarding will know about the corner locking yep. uh locking your bags up to the pier when you went for a surf and uh yeah get a wimpy yeah. after yeah and oh when it turned to spears too the uh to, to steers the rave burger yep. it <laughs> it's not i think it's 19 rand 19 rand yep. for, for a burger which is and all the uh initiation games and stuff and all the nicknames oh, oh yeah oh yeah and uh playing um playing donkey on the beach the one bounce the huge game yep. of one bounce yep one bounce i've heard that a lot and yeah. did you see mark a lot too andre's brother i didn't no no, no. okay so he um, was just after you yeah um so i don't know if they play it the same around the world but one bounce or donkey is that for every time you mess up you get a letter and once you once you uh get the word donkey everybody that's playing gets to take a, a penalty shootout at your back um, yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> i don't know if that's yeah, played like on the north pretty shore hardcore games that like yeah. if someone suggested to play these games at like elementary school now they would all be like suspended <laughs> that'd be yeah definitely the banned games but and the crazy thing was the 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 wide ranging ages of of all the bodyboarders so you had like ogs that were older in their 20s late in their 30s and then you had um real real groms like um uh wesley fisher you had all the little guys coming up and i was kind of in between but yeah it was a yeah just a mecca of of bodyboarders that time at that at that time of the in history yeah, it a, it's like it's interesting i because i've heard all those stories but like you know to tell you the truth i haven't felt that feeling in bodyboarding since I've been involved with it yeah. and um that the book jam that that they just recently had that day was like kind of like the coolest day because it had I feel like a, a, a piece of that like yeah uh it had that kind of like weaved through the day it felt like a real kind of camaraderie didn't mm -hmm. you know what i mean it i don't know there was something magical about it for sure that's, that's very cool very cool um you live both in hawaii and south africa kind of split your time across the two uh 
how does that work for you? What, is, what does that kind of look like? Well, we have in recent years uh, used South Africa as our base um, and we live with Andre's parents, um, as doctor calls it in paradise. <laughs> but um, <laughs> yeah, we've done a lot of, we've had a lot of odd jobs through the times um, to kind of try to support that. But we've always been in Hawaii uh, for three-ish months mm -hmm. each year. And now we are trying to uh, actually, you know, convert it all over and, and live here. Like I said, I got back into teaching. So this is the first time I'm back into teaching in 10 years. Um, mm -hmm. I did a, a, some teaching online, but I'm back as a Department of Education employee here in Hawaii. And <laughs> Yeah, it's been really cool to be back. So we're trying to create, you know, a little bit, I think a little bit more stability for little Andre. But at the mm -hmm. same time, I do think that Andre and I are both um, kind of like have maybe like a, the Viking ancestry that just always wants to go because <laughs> we get somewhere and we love it and we love to leave it too. <laughs> <laughs> we love to find the new place, you know, so there's always, and I think that's why I got into teaching because I, you, I know I can always go with it to mm -hmm. find new places and go new places and, um, you know, I'm sure we'll figure out a way to go again soon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. Um, you have a master's degree in education from North Carolina University. Yes. When you were coming through university, could you have ever pictured yourself in that kind of, firstly, marrying or, or being with a uh, a professional bodyboarder and secondly living that nomadic lifestyle did it always draw you yeah I think that for the most part um I never really saw myself marrying a professional athlete um I, I don't I don't know I never really I'm not I was never a girl who like imagined my wedding or anything like that that didn't really ever bother me but um I knew that teaching would be a device. I got my undergraduate in history because I don't know. I just have a fascination with the past and like applying the lessons to the future and the now. But I was like, what WTF do I do with the history <laughs> major <laughs> now that I'm graduated? And then I ended up having a getting a substitute teaching job in North Carolina because uh, I didn't I really liked North Carolina just like that slow pace everyone was really everyone when you go for a walk there everyone says hello I just like really enjoyed that feel and um, I was really fascinated with actually um, racism to tell you the truth I uh, was born and raised in Washington DC area, the suburbs of Washington DC. So mm -hmm. I went to school with literally every single race you can imagine in the world. Mm -hmm. Every single one is there. It's like a 
with Washington, D.C. and the Pentagon and all the different job opportunities there. It's a huge mm -hmm. hub. There's like three major airports there. It's like literally every I never saw race as a thing when I grew up because I was raised in such a bubble. Mm -hmm. And then when I went to North Carolina, I was like, whoa, uh, you know, racism is pretty, you know, like we lived in kind of like the ghetto and just to save money, but we had a sick house. It was almost like an old plantation house. And we were living next to next door to like some gangbangers, like for real, but they, <laughs> you know, I, I, it made me fascinated and I did my undergraduate thesis and with the racism in the South. And then to come full circle, I ended up moving to South Africa. <laughs> so I was like, wow, uh, yeah. that level of understanding sort of, I think that you can never learn from writing as many theses as you want as to actually living in North Carolina or actually living in South Africa. So it actually was like a weird, connection that I that I felt okay I'm like supposed to go to South Africa I'm supposed to go to Africa and I can't even tell you the amount that I've learned from living in South Africa and living with Andre's parents um you know it's an old way that a lot of places people don't do uh especially in America you finish school you move out uh you get your own place it's like this rite of passage that mm -hmm. is like I don't know. I think that the modern world has kind of gotten wrong. I think that there's so much wisdom we can get from our parents um, and from, you know, the elders in our families. And like, I would never trade that time uh, being with them and living with them. You know, there, uh, there's just, there was many people that said, oh, you guys should get your own place all the time. And I'm like, you know, no, like I will never live in Durban and not live with Dr. <laughs> <laughs> ever. Like I, where must I live there? Like buy, have yeah. some flat in Shanga? No, thank you. You know, <laughs> when I can be there spending quality time with them and learning from them. Yeah. So, so you obviously say, look, what's the longest stint that you've spent in South Africa? Not obviously excluding your trips away, but how, what's the we longest time that you lived there? We had a long stint. Um, I'm really bad with time and dates, but we had a long stint with uh, COVID, with the lockdown. So okay, the lockdown in South Africa was very harsh. Um, yeah. Uh, it was so harsh that we weren't allowed to go outside um, yeah. for a month. They, they banned alcohol and cigarette sales for a long time, too. Uh, I was little Andre was a small baby at that time. And I used to walk him on the beach every day in, the, in a carrier to get him to nap. And I remember when they announced the lockdown, I, I like sobbed and kissed the ground at the beach. I was like, how can they do this to me? This is my personal freedom. Right. And it's, yeah. it was so interesting because everyone around us said, this is the right thing they're doing. We're so proud of the president. And I was like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> like, this is like, you know, how can you tell me not yeah. to go outside? Um, yeah. But yeah, I we learned so much from that. I would, I would never take that away either. You know, we learned so much from that time. Andre yeah. quickly bought a treadmill. <laughs> Very quickly, 
bought a treadmill because he's uh full on i mean he runs he runs he runs he runs yeah a lot of times people will say are you surfing today when it's like the smaller days he's got to run <laughs> <laughs> but yeah we were there for a, a good while i would say we were there for like a year like we were there and we couldn't yeah. I kept getting these emails from the U.S. Embassy that kept saying South Africa is like the worst place to be right now in the world. Get an emergency flight out. And I was like, what are we doing here? <laughs> but we just stuck it out. <laughs> made it through. So and, um, COVID made us stay, which yeah. actually was really cool. So thank you, COVID. <laughs> What was the biggest cultural shift that you had to embrace when you moved to South Africa and saw how different things were there compared to the States? Or did you find that it was that different? How did you engage with that? Yeah, I think that um, Durban's this interesting microcosm. So this is like straight up Durban. And I don't think that you can... Um, apply the same thing to like people in Cape Town that would be like a different story but in Durban because Durban has such a large Zulu population um, and uh, I think more of an English population than Cape Town has more of the Afrikaners you know mm -hmm. and, and then Durban also has another layer of uh, a very large Indian population not um, Indians from India right mm -hmm. uh, so it's such a large Indian population in Durban. I think it is the largest Indian population outside of India in the world that is in Durban. So you get this huge mixture. It's such a mixture. You can get the best Indian food for like $2, like a huge Indian food feast for two bucks. Um, you know, a lot of times, like I, I love walking around wherever I'm at. And a lot of times when I went on walks with little Andre, to the beach the beach was about like a 10 minute walk from the house and then there's shops there was like a, a little small quaint little mall that's about like a 15 20 minute walk from the house so i would do little outings like that with him and often uh white people would stop often white people would stop and say Do, can i give you a lift are you okay <laughs> and I, I was like i'm I'm great that you, I'm on a thing that's called a walk. You walk. Yeah, we don't walk. We don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> but the only other people that are walking with me are domestic house workers or gardeners, you know, who are, you know, black Africans, right? So uh, it was, I looked probably like a fish out of water. And then mm -hmm. a lot of times people would, um, you know, it's, I, that there's something about the, the black Africans. There's something about it. It's like, even Gerda said, she just couldn't wait to, when she came to Hawaii, she couldn't wait to get on her flight for the South African flight, just to see South Africans again. She just couldn't mm -hmm. wait. There's just something and not across even not just you know black south africans but across all the indian all of them there's just something about south africans that's almost hard to pinpoint it's like 
the way they talk, the way they're, I don't know, they've got a, there's a lot of heart there because there has been so much struggle. And, mm-hmm. and I mean, struggle is definitely linked. It's like the stories with the most struggle are the stories that are the most beautiful. And I try to tell a lot of people in America because they say, how are you living in South Africa? That's so scary. You must move back to America. And I say, isn't it so dangerous there? Isn't it unsafe there? And I'm like, well, you know, if you look at the history, like apartheid only ended in 1994 and with American slavery and the civil war when they, you know, which it's comparisons are always odious, but the civil war ended in 1868, I believe. And then we saw so many issues in American history with Jim Crow laws, you know, Mm -hmm. all of these initiatives to keep, keep black Americans, you know, in uh, indentured servitude in a slavery situation, you know, uh, keep them uneducated. It was like this, this long thing that I mean, the civil rights movement happened in 1960, 100 years after that, and there was still so many injustices, and there's still an injustices now so i always tell people south africa has made huge gains in such a small short little Mm -hmm. period of time compared to other nations if you look so Mm -hmm. i think that you know there's something also about south africans that i want to say that um through coronavirus through the riots through all of these different things all these hardships um they always have a sense of humor. They always have a sense of humor through it. It's like they know how to laugh it off. I, it's like the, the funniest memes, the funniest songs, when they quit, when they, uh, they stopped the, uh, the smoking with the cigarettes, there was so much funny content that was coming out. Like the most hilarious songs. I, I can't even tell you. It's like, and I try to share these with people in America and I say, check this then, out. This is fucking hilarious. And they're like, they don't get it. And I'm like, okay, they're not going to get it. <laughs> <laughs> they're not going to get it. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> South Africans, yeah. they know how to make any situation funny. It doesn't matter how bad it is. And we know how to laugh at ourselves. And people think yes. we take ourselves so seriously, but most of the time it is just, we're just having an absolute crack off our own back. It's just how we roll. Like we're happy to laugh at ourselves because that's how we get through it. It's yes. so good. Yes. So good. And um, yeah, we love a satire too. We love just the nuances of making fun of yourself and other people. Yeah. Yep. All... I mean, I think Andre is like in a constant state of that. Cause like there's times <laughs> where he is like, he seems from the outside and his father's the exact same way they can seem extremely intense like if you're listening from a different room you're like oh oh my my god this guy's so intense like he's so angry and then if you're involved in the conversation you're like oh my god he's like doing a weird joke like it's like it's like he's being humorous actually yeah and like yeah it's i don't it's hard to explain i think it's like a uh thing like a lineage thing like a, there's like that french with the afrikaners and the dutch that's like and then there's like the english sense of humor there's like so many different layers like i try to tell people even when the riots happened in durban 
there's so many layers to this. Like, yeah. I honestly, no one, I could write you a thousand page paper on it and it still wouldn't cover, you know, all of the layers that are going into what makes South African a South African. <laughs> well, I think that there is, and you may or may not get the reference, but you can 100% understand South African humor just by watching Nando's adverts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I mean, I, South Africans have definitely hold a special place in my heart. Even just, I feel like a lot of them are storytellers too. Um, yeah. And lots of sound effects, you know, when they, like, wow. I don't know, there's like <laughs> little sound effects they use and little hand motions they use. If I can hear, if I hear Andre leaving a voice note for like Billy versus if he's leaving a voice note for like someone here in America, it's like totally different. Like lexicon he uses all these different little sound effects and little South African nuances. Yeah, that's incredible to, to, to hear your perception of that because, and I think as a South African, I think that it comes from the eclectic number of languages that we do have. So if you're down in the in the Cape, you have all the truly indigenous languages like the, the Khoi and the Khoisan, which is very, very uh, clicky. Then you've got the, um, the Afrikaans language, which is very tongue rolly. So you're rolling a lot of your tongue and you've got the, the softer English accent and you combine them all. Um, I come from a family of storytellers too. Like my dad, as a kid, I remember growing up and there would be, especially sitting around a campfire, hours and hours and hours of stories and it's kind of strange in a way it's you're looking to one up each other's stories but in a good way you're always like one story will roll into the next one um as you sink a lot of brandy um that was kind of the way i way i grew up <laughs> around the fire yeah um, so yeah it's, that's a beautiful perception to have and it's kind of like gives me all warm and fuzzy feelings which is strange it's kind of really like reminiscent i think it's probably yeah, what nostalgic. It is, but... nostalgic there we go that's the one so, yeah very cool in 2020 june 2020 you and andre and little andre specifically went through a really rough time um with his health uh tell us about that if you're if you're comfortable with yeah he um that was quite a ride too and that was also during the uh, coronavirus COVID, lockdown yeah. the very harsh lockdown in south africa there was zero flights throughout the country you couldn't even travel like by road across the country unless you had like all of these special permits mm -hmm. and um little andre fell into the pool and hit the step a step in the pool right here on his nose and we thought um he had like just maybe broken his nose. So it was a very miraculous thing that actually happened that he did that fall, very intuitive of him. And um, it swole, got swollen and uh, my Andre, well, Andre's father's a pediatrician. He's one of the best pediatricians in Durban. Mm -hmm. um, amazing genius, total genius. One of the, the most genius men I have ever encountered in my life. Love him dearly. Um, he was not convinced it was anything we had to worry about. Actually, he, uh, you know, said, you know, broken nose, you can't really do anything. And he's a toddler, you know, it will be fine. And 
you know, Andre with my Andre with all these Andres, my Andre with um, <laughs> his experience with injury. Uh, you know, Andre has messed his face up, messed so many things up with bodyboarding yeah. that he said this doesn't actually look like a broken nose to me. It's it would have you know, gone down by now. So my Andre insisted that we go in and take him to the ear, nose and throat doctor and see what he has to say. So, um, he, we took him in and we got some scans. We got a CT scan. We actually had to drug little Andre up on some, um, like some prescription drugs, like a muscle relaxer type of like sedative, some kind of thing like that, which actually had an adverse effect on him. He's oh. just like all the Andres, adverse effect to drugs. And um, he was like a little drunk man. I couldn't get him to do anything. He wanted to run badly, but he was falling all over the place. I was like, <laughs> oh my God. Um, it was hectic. The CT scan was a bit shaky due to that. And it looked like the tumor, it looked like it was in his actual brain. So it was a huge shock. It was a huge fuck up type of feeling. And, um, I could see even doctor was quite nervous, but he was holding it together as saying, you know, we're going to fix it up. It's going to be fine. And we got, uh, through doctor's connections, we found the best doctor, literally one of the best doctor in the world. Her name is Darlene and she is in Cape town. So she's one of the best doctors in the world. They did an endoscopic surgery that went actually through his nose. Uh, and they, they, uh, took the tumor out that way through the nose and yeah, he, um, we had to, we actually had to get a private chartered plane to get to Cape Town in time to remove the, uh, the tumor, which Andre's dad graciously paid for. We were getting ready to do, a uh, what's it called? Those like GoFundMes. Yeah. I, I, he said, no, you're not doing that. Like I, you know, I, this, this is why I have money saved for things like this. You're my family. And yeah. Um, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> he, um, it was incredible. We went, went to Cape town, little Andre after the surgery was just like, you know, just like normal. Like he yeah. just was jolly and happy and dancing. And, you know, we ate a, a burger and all was well and then this last season in Hawaii it did come back um you know these things have a chance to grow back so it we noticed it again and we wrote Darlene we wrote Andre's father they again they were both like I don't think we have to worry about this and there was something inside your gut and like as a parent and all mm -hmm. parents like I always tell parents like you know or I like even yourself, you are your own best doctor, you know, all the best doctors in the world can say what they want to say, but like you, I think, no, you're, you're the only one that's been in your mm -hmm. body and yeah. for ch our children too, you know, we are, you know, their number one doctors too. And like taking all the best advice as, as you can. So we just, we went with it. We knew Andre was kind of actually my Andre was kind of keen to stay and I was like I'm not screwing around with this like I want to go back to South Africa and get this checked out and if it all is good and it's fine then great you know great but if it's not fine then we're there with all of his best people mm -hmm. to do the surgery 
So we saw, uh, flew back, was totally crazy. Apparently in South Africa, you need the uh, one kind of COVID test to get in, but in America, you need the rapid antigen test and we got the wrong test. They, ca they canceled our flights. We had, we were running around Washington DC to get this test. All these tests amount to like $700 for a family of three. Oh, <laughs> then man. you get, you get we got on the flight. It was the weirdest flight ever. It was the day they announced South Africa would be banned from America. All South Africans would be banned from America. So like the day we left America to go back to South Africa, they, they said, Joe Biden said, yes, South Africans won't be allowed back in America now because COVID's so bad in South Africa and the variants, the Delta variants were flying then. So yeah. Uh, that flight was about the weirdest flight we've ever been on. There was literally less than 10 people on the flight. We had our own entire section. I think I, I, I think I took, I think I took literally like 50 pillows and made a huge like bed for little Andre. <laughs> I was like, I'm just taking all these pillows. Like this. Um, it was the most bizarre flight to travel throughout all of this COVID has been definitely interesting, but his last MRI was great. Um, Dr. And Gerda, Andre's mother, you know, I have to give admiration to her too, though. She is like, doctor, doctor is like the most genius, most, you know, hardcore scientist there is. And mm -hmm. then Andre's mother is like the most mother goddess yeah. there ever was like she is like literally she was raised like little andre and kamala there's a story of her that's like she she they had to go to namibia uh it was compulsory to be in the military and mm -hmm. doctor was stationed in namibia during those wars and little andre was there in namibia they were at um they had to go like bomb shelter kamala was a brand new baby at this time and they had to go to the bomb shelter. The story, one story Gerda tells that she had Kamala on her uh, breastfeeding, on her breast, at her bosom, just a sheet around her with little Andre at her side running to the bomb shelter. <laughs> in time and very calm, very, uh, very loving. Uh, she will like give you her last penny for her children yeah. she will fight to the death for her children she is like the most mother spirit you can get she is yeah absolutely incredible so i don't know how i got on a gerda tangent but it's well deserved gerda <laughs> you're talking about your trip back to uh back from hawaii oh, to, yeah that to yeah. south africa we come into this like loving home, everything's set up. We literally arrive from the flight, get in the car, go to doctor's hospital where he works to do uh, the MRI. Uh, and then call the Cape Town doctor, wait for the MRI results, go to Cape Town. You know what I mean? It's like, this was like this whole, it was just like so beautifully done. If I was just yeah. on my own and we were in America and we had to find the doctors and make all the arrangements and do everything, it would have been so much more stressful. Uh, and yeah. then we could just focus all of our energy on, you know, little Andre, which was yeah. really beautiful. And all of those things too, you know, just like COVID, we went through COVID and this pandemic with 
you know, our son having a, you know, benign tumor removed two times, it's like, mm-hmm. I still wouldn't trade that either. All of that stuff gave us such insight into, yeah. um, you know, what really matters. And yeah. it is so profound. I, and you know, what's really bizarre too, is I have always had such a hesitation to uh, medicine and science and, um, have always been like, really like, I probably would be like an anti-vaxxer right now if it wasn't for (laughs) all of this stuff that I went through because it it gave me faith in modern medicine. And I think that was a big lesson that I needed, um, Mm -hmm. uh, to, to have faith in these people and how amazing this is and how, if this you know, this could never have been cured with like frankincense oil or something, you know, this is like (laughs) the real fucking deal. And these people are genius, genius, amazing people. Like this woman in Cape Town, what are the odds? Like we never would have been able to fly internationally. I was thinking, what the fuck? We're stuck here now. You know, we should, everyone's like, you should get to America as soon as you can to get the best medical. And there she is the best in person in the world she creates the technology that does the surgeries for this and i'm like wow we are in the right place you know go figure with all the right people and thank god for all of them and modern medicine and we're so thankful that's an incredible story like just yeah it's absolutely incredible what was your experience around the support from the bodyboarding community? Obviously, you posted, there was an announcement that, that Andre put online. Yeah, I think that, you know, all prayers um, work, all thoughts work. I think, like, you know, like, uh, that mindset is really important. And um, it, I think that it, it was a little place to go to. Um I think Andre is becomes much more um, private in those times. I think I was mm-hmm. the first person who posted about it um, on my old account on Time Spent Bewildered. I was the first person to write about it. And I just, I think that at that time, actually, when I did announce it, there was a part of me that was um, announcing it for financial support because I didn't Mm -hmm. we didn't have that conversation with Andre's father yet and Mm -hmm. um and I knew that we would maybe need to have the support financially of the bodyboarding community so I wanted to just you know put it out there for that and put it out there for the prayers yeah almost more importantly because you know and like my mom was posting it and she you know how uh, the boomers are with their Facebooks and stuff. And she's like, telling me, yeah, my friend in Italy is doing a whole thing at their church and they're doing this at their church and everyone's, you know, doing all, and they added Andre to their prayer circle and this and that, like all over the world, which is like, so mm-hmm. cool, you know? Yeah. Wow. So but yeah, good. we, we, we felt it and we, you know, we're, we're thankful. So thank you to everyone who had a little thought or gave a little heart or Mm -hmm. did a little prayer for our baby Andre because, Mm -hmm. and he did, I must give him credit to, he did so superbly. He had to get, we have had so many coronavirus tests. I think that we've had 
about 15 <laughs> coronavirus tests because he, he had to get it to yeah get, yeah uh, to get submitted to hospital mm-hmm. a lot and a lot of people said i would never let my kid get one of those and i'm like well you your kids never had a tumor that needed to get removed so yeah <laughs> i'm sure you would reconsider <laughs> if you were in yeah. that situation but thank you things uh, change very quickly when, yeah so yeah. we he did he did superbly with everything he was really he just bounced back from those surgeries it was like mm-hmm pretty amazing how how quickly he healed and how well he did and how um how he got through all of that we've done a lot of like play therapy type stuff with like doctor equipment Mm -hmm. we actually just recently went to the dentist that he went to the dentist and got his first cleaning that I was pretty worried about that that he would get all nervous but he did really great for that too they said he did the best out of any any three-year-old they've ever seen so i think that he has worked through a lot of those traumas which yeah are inevitable to get absolutely and kids are super resilient they are far more resilient than us and that they carry less baggage than i think we do as we get older yep. so yeah they just just get on with it it's awesome yep. let's talk about your life behind the camera for a little bit i was going to ask you what kind of where it all started but you've you've given us that already you uh, you said you went to pipe as a kind of emergency because someone else couldn't be there mm-hmm. what is mm-hmm. your relationship with the camera now and yeah. specifically filming filming bodyboarding and bodyboarding as and andre specifically yeah i um so i've been filming with just my little handy cam for <laughs> quite a long time um yeah, I I love pipe. Pipe's my favorite wave to film for sure. Um, you don't get that feeling from any other wave well that I've been to so far. Mm-hmm. Um, it is absolutely just you just get such the jitters because um, it is so you know death defying. And now with the extra, there's so many crowds this season. I've never seen so many crowds there. The surfers are really pushing it. Um, There was many years back that I saw there was these big days, these big kind of ugly days. We called them like Andre days. And there would be like, (laughs) there would be like not a lot of people out. There would be like three-ish, four-ish people out, you know? We could always count on Seabass to go out, paddle out with Andre. And um yeah, those are the days he would clean up. And now those days are filled. Those days are filled. The they're I think that maybe Instagram obviously has a lot to do with that, you know, to get mm-hmm. the shot for the day. And mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of people are pushing it and they're pushing it a lot younger too. I'm seeing a lot of really young kids out there surfing. Uh, you see a sea of black wetsuits with helmets on. And if I can make any recommendations for any up and coming bodyboarders and surfers, I would say wear some color because Mm -hmm. it's, it's like a sea of black wetsuits. I don't know why black wetsuits are so popular now. I called them uh, business suits. Yeah. This, this year. (laughs) It's frustrating for us too. I do anything to get a colorful wetsuit. Like everything, everything you get now is just black. It's like, I wish for the days of the, 80s where we get the lumo lumo suits but 
it's got to be something to do with the manufacturing process or the ulex or the the neoprene yeah. that they source and they just can't get it in a different color but well super. i know um send no send you can check them out they have definitely yeah. have some colors andre's did done some like purples and some kind of well, far out colors through the years it's i think andre's send no send purple which it is is it's more than just a colored wetsuit. I think it's an iconic wetsuit. Um, it's in the world of bodyboarding. Everybody knows Andre's Senos and purple wetsuit. <laughs> yeah, it is everybody like, knows it. <laughs> it's just I don't know. You know that with filming, color helps. Like even mm. you know the color with the boards too. You know, like I'm seeing just so many white surfboards, stand up mm -hmm. surfboards, and a lot of bodyboards. I just seeing like black bodyboards are really popular now. And I'm like, just, you just need a pop of color. It just makes mm -hmm. it look so good on film. If you have a, a pop of color there mm -hmm. um, on the wave, you know, it just really it stands out to me. So that, that would be definitely a recommendation for me, but um, yeah, pipes my best. And then probably Namibia is just totally freak show. Um, you know, Namibia, I, I think I've been there now seven times. Uh, I love reminiscing on the Namibia trips. Um, Greg Fraser is a South African bodyboarder and he's just like our Namibia guy. I, I miss, you know, there's just something about some of our South Africa trips that just came together so beautifully and so organically. Mm -hmm. You know, we're not kind of like a lot of the bodyboarding people are like team science, team this, like we're, we don't really feel like that we're like it's like um it's kind of like i i definitely like i said that first feeling from the north shore that i checked the bodyboarders that's more like it's not a team sport but it's more like this artistic expression mm -hmm. um kind of thing like this feeling and i feel like that's how we've kind of done it we've not done it as a team play together sport but as a you know artistic kind of communal that kind of naturally comes together <laughs> this yeah the namibia is just that stuff's just like iconic like that wave is just crazy it's like mm -hmm. i would say that wave is just on its own shelf like as a total freak of nature like mm -hmm. and the place is just on itself on its own shelf as also a total freak freak of nature because there's like the nature just goes off there because it is so such a harsh place to live that mm -hmm. it's like nature takes over there so because people kind of like can crumble there it's a hard not not easy to live there with those conditions so it's like there's just like a million seals there and a million mm -hmm. flamingos there and like the most beautiful like salt mines and like i don't know it's just the most beautiful sand dunes I, it's just like you can stop on the if you drive there which we drove there many times from south africa which was like a 20 hour drive on a very scary african road and you can stop on the side of that road and buy like a a, a like a cook sister tray you know like yeah, a styrofoam yeah. tray of crystals that's like you can buy like a whole tray of crystals for like 20 rand and what? it's just like nature nature just goes off there and that is um i'd love to take little andre there one day and then i'd love to take him to the west coast in south africa hopefully that mm -hmm. 
I've heard that it's not getting too badly destroyed with the um, Australian mining companies that the South African government has okayed to mine in that mm -hmm. very beautiful nature reserve, which is very saddening, but we got to flow with the, the way of the world. And as someone told me, this guy Rory told me actually in Namibia, he told me that um, stop worrying about the earth the earth is always going to be fine. Like the earth is always <laughs> going to be fine. What you need to worry about is us because we are not going to be fine with what yeah. we're doing. <laughs> 100%, yeah. <laughs> that, that is a big thing that kind of always stuck with me. Um, and you get these, you know, the guys, the South Africans, when we go on those Namibia trips, they are so fucking hilarious. It's like, they can talk literally for literal like 12 hours about the charts and how to read the Namibia charts and how the swell was according to the charts versus the previous swell and the previous swell and where they think the wave is going in the future. And it's like the, if I probably recorded them, I could probably sell it to people for, you know, X amount of dollars. Oh. It's like, I'm not kidding you. They are, they become like rocket scientists of chart reading swell people. That is just a nonstop. So sick. How do you, you mentioned obviously the Andre days at Pipe where it's gnarly and there used to be only two, three, four people out there. How do you reconcile that in your in yourself um, with concern and I don't really know what the word was to use, yeah. but maybe entertainment, like and especially now that you are parents, where the risk reward kind of factor becomes comes yeah. into play. Like as a feeling sitting on the beach, how do you put that together? Totally. I um that that has been kind of interesting. I think that you know before we had baby Andre it was like kind of I was in a mindset of like okay you know on there's just certain people that you can kind of see and I think a lot of professional athletes grapple with this it's not an uncommon thing uh, even maybe people that go into like uh, pretty hectic like construction jobs like really mm -hmm. manual labor type of situations that um I think that these people are like these old souls that would have been like I noted our Viking kind of ancestry that we both have that there is just something that maybe Andre if he was you know born during the like you know, Roman Empire times, like, you know, he would be like at the battles or something mm -hmm. that he would be really great to help <laughs> out. <laughs> and there's just like these people that are like that, that have yeah. to live in this way. And I think yeah. that I kind of always saw that in him, that that was, you know, a need for him. And that, um, it was like a lot of living in this kind of living in the joy and living from inspiration and living from, you know, this present moment. Like I said, my motto is now do the plan, the plan will work. But then I always have a counter to that, which is uh, as we make plans, God laughs. <laughs> and, and, and then Andre, Andre's dad always says, when you have a plan, you need also need a plan B, C, and a little 
a little d too <laughs> you know like just like that it's like you know i've seen him get hurt many times and you know there obviously is a uh like a post-traumatic stress type of thing that happens after one gets injured um, yeah. or after one goes through something, which is totally natural for everyone. And mm-hmm. um, I think that it's all about learning. You know, each time we've gone through one of those, we learn, you know, and there's been some of those ugly days this season that has been um Uh, that Andre has been watching it all day and I think that he really you know listens to his gut a lot more now that Mm -hmm. he uh he makes good calls and makes really good decisions now Mm -hmm. um but also it's you know we haven't he we haven't actually he hasn't actually had that much time at Pike in the recent years um Little Andre was born in 2018 in December. So Andre went very quickly for like two weeks that season on his own. And, uh, you know, we, then we had COVID that, that we missed. Then we had uh, the one season where we had to rush back to South Africa. So, you know, this year he's all about just warming himself back up to pipe and he sees Mm -hmm. it almost as like you know as surfers do almost like a girlfriend or something that you're like reintroducing yourself to and you know getting that confidence and you know making sure you're making the right calls but also having fun like one of the quotes uh nathan fletcher says in, in a in a clip was like, you know, the one that's having the most fun is actually the one who's winning. So mm-hmm. it's like not taking it too seriously, too. I mean, at the end of the day, it's like you're riding a fucking sponge on a wave. Trish Waters, thank you so much for for jumping on the podcast. It's an absolute pleasure to have you and such interesting stories. And I hope little Dre is um, all good and healthy. And uh, yeah, yeah, super appreciative, really honored. Yeah, this is my first podcast. So thanks for having me. I when you wrote me, I was like, are you sure you got the right person? So a little bit of a shock to me, but yeah, I'm happy that um, you wanted to chat and humbled. Thank you. This episode was brought to you by Red Originals. Visit the link in the Slab Bodyboarding Instagram bio to check out their awesome gear. Follow Slab Bodyboarding on Instagram for regular book stuff. Tag your mates if you dig the content and thanks for listening.